Good morning. It's been a good week. I tell you, it's been exciting as we've gathered to to begin to prepare for Holy Week and Easter Sunday. We, we began that preparation on Wednesday night as our, our youth designed a, an Ash Wednesday service for us to come. And, and many of you came and, and, and we prayed and we prepared our hearts for that journey to the cross. And then yesterday, I think about 70 of us gathered throughout the day for, for a time of prayer, a, a prayer journey in which we committed and devoted ourselves to praying for our church and it was a powerful and moving moment for for those that went through this this prayer journey yesterday and how glorious today to gather and and to see two of our young men professing their faith in Christ and and coming in obedience in baptism to share that testimony with us and so today we continue that journey to to the cross we we continue that journey to see Jesus more clearly that will lead us to the cross and to the empty tomb in just a few weeks. And so today I want us to, to focus on a familiar story. It's, it's the story of the feeding of the 5,000, but instead of retelling the story, maybe to, to look more at the implications and, and the, the teaching that comes out of the story, because I believe in looking at this particular miracle, that it opens our eyes, it helps us to see more clearly who Jesus is. So if you would, turn with me to uh, John chapter 6. I think I mentioned a few weeks ago that the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is one of, one of the few miracles that's mentioned in all four of the Gospels. And today we'll focus here on the, the presentation in the telling in John chapter 6. But I want us to begin with, with this introductory verse. And I want us to reflect on the question or on the, the setting that it creates for us. In verse 3, the scripture simply says that Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. I think the reference is to more than just the 12. There was a crowd with him. But these were those who had committed themselves to, to following Jesus, certainly that, that, that band of apostles, the twelve, the other disciples that were committed to Jesus, and certainly to the curious that, that just happened to hear that Jesus was in the area, and they gathered up on the mountainside. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You know what I, I think of when I hear that, that, that phrase, that they went up on the mountain and sat down with his disciples. Jesus sat down. He offered full and complete attention. They were there to talk. They were there to, to learn. They were there to, to hear from Jesus. And we know the stories when Jesus would gather on the mountainside with his disciples. He would, he would heal the sick and the lame. And there Jesus gathered on the mountainside with his disciples. You see, if we want to see Jesus more clearly, we must see him on the mountainside. We must see him with full attention gathered to his disciples. And so the question that I have for us today is where are the mountains? Where are the mountainsides that, that we, that you sit down with Jesus, that, that you, that we sit down with one another? Well, maybe it is the mountain. I'll never forget a beautiful, it's one of the, the, the most powerful experiences I've had. Is, it was on a mission trip up to, to the Calgary, Canada area. It was during spring break with, with, college, excuse me, with high school students. 
and we took a day to go to, to the mountains. We had a group that went skiing and a group that didn't want to go skiing, and I ended up with a group that didn't want to go skiing. And we went to, if you've been into the Canadian Rockies, you know how beautiful, how majestic they are, how, how you just look out and you see, wow, there has to be a God. And the group that didn't go skiing ended up in Banff, and they have a gondola in Banff that, that during the, the summer months you can go up and walk around, but, but it, was, it was snowed in, and the, the, the peaks of those mountains, but the gondola would take you up to the top, and there was a, a sitting area, an area that was packed with snow, but, but was safe to go up, and there were about seven or eight of us, and we, we took the gondola ride up to the top of the mountain there above Banff. It was a beautiful sun-drenched day and we found a ledge and if you know me I'm not too big on ledges so it's not wasn't a really big ledge but but it was a ledge where we could sit down there in the snow and look out over the mountains in the valley and we sat for an hour hour and a half and we just talked and visited we, we sat on the mountainside we shared life, we shared our stories, we talked, we invested in each other. Where are the mountains of your life? Are they, maybe they're at the coffee shop. Maybe it's the coffee shop where you, you say, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. And, and you sit down and you visit and you talk and, and you share your life with each other. You, you put your phones down and you, and you sit down with each other. Maybe for you, it's, it's around the table. You share a, a breakfast, a lunch, a dinner. And in that, that time of eating together, you, you share life and you, you talk about the important things of life. Maybe for you, it's around the game table. You gather to play games, but you're really gathering to be together and to allow the, the natural interaction of that, that game together to, to create and to stir conversations. Maybe for some of you, it's here at this church where you gather for a moment of prayer as we did yesterday, as we did Wednesday night, maybe in your life group, maybe here in worship is, is that mountainside where you come and you sit and, and you give full attention to, to God and to listening to Him or, or maybe to others. For some, maybe it's that camp retreat experience. It's why Falls Creek is so powerful for you and, and it holds such dear memories for you is because you've been to the mountain that we call Falls Creek. And there... You've sat with Jesus. You've, you've sat with others that have, have poured into you and invested in you. Maybe for some of you, I think more recently in, in some of our lives, maybe that mountain is in a place called Refurio, Texas. Where you've gotten away from the routines of life here and you've gone and, and you've worked hard and you've given to others. But more importantly, through that time, you've sat down with others and shared life and had conversations. Oh, that we would realize and understand we are called to go and to sit with one another and to sit with our Lord on the mountainside. In church, for too many of us, we're too busy. Well, you know what, yesterday, just too busy. I couldn't come up to the church. I couldn't give an hour. And certainly, yesterday wasn't about an hour of prayer forever. It was about an attitude in which we want to commit ourselves from here forward on going to pray for our church and for each other. But are you too busy? You, you need to make time to go to the mountain. You need to make time to sit down with Jesus. And oh, when we get there, 
as we picture what was going on, do you ever wonder, do you ever wonder what Jesus, what He talked about when He was on the mountain? If Jesus said He was coming to the Arbuckles, our great Oklahoma mountains, was going to sit up on the mountain, I'd be there because I'd want to hear. I'd want to listen to what He had to say. I wonder what He said when He was on the mountains with His disciples here in John chapter 6. And while we don't know specifically, my mind always goes back to Matthew 5-7, through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Again, I think I referenced last week or two weeks ago, it could have been, a, it sure it could have been a sermon if they were there all day. It could have been one, one day or maybe it was a compilation of, of thoughts and sermons that Jesus gave as He gathered with His disciples. But imagine, if you would, sitting on the mountainside with Jesus as He begins to share the Beatitudes. This with common people. Hurting people. People hungry and looking for something oppressed by the Romans. And listen to the words of Jesus he would, as he would say, Blessed are the poor. Excuse me, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those of you who grieve. Blessed are those of you who are hurting, for you will be comforted. Or, or maybe as Jesus was talking, he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Who, me? I, I'm a nobody here in Galilee. On the north side of, of the Sea of Galilee. I'm, I'm a nobody. No, you, you, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Jesus continued on. You know, there was regulations and requirements. There were laws that would force the Jewish citizens to walk a mile, to walk the mile with the Roman soldier to, to carry his pack. And Jesus taught on the mountainside. We need to learn how to walk the extra mile. Well, we know we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, aren't we? But there on the mountainside, there sitting with his disciples on, on the mountainside, Jesus would say, you know what? We also need to learn to love our enemies. You can just see the power of the teaching of Jesus to sit and to listen. He offered a, a, a new way of living, a new way of life called the kingdom of God. Jesus said, hey, all, all of you that are so worrisome, all of you that are so anxious, all of you that, that, that are so nervous all the time, fearful all the time, he said, don't be anxious, but rather seek the kingdom of God. All these other things will, will, will fall into place. Don't be anxious. Jesus said, don't judge. Why are we always pointing our fingers at others? Why are we always judging them? Jesus said, focus on, focus on yourself. Love, forgive others. Don't, don't judge them. On the mountainside, Jesus taught the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Where do you go to the mountainside to listen, to hear from Jesus, to hear Him teach? He said, build your, your life upon, upon the rock, upon a strong foundation. Build your life upon me. Oh, that we would go to the mountainside and listen to Jesus sit by His side. At the mountainside, Jesus taught us to pray. He shared Matthew 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, pray like this. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Well, I'm going to ask the obvious question. Why would we ask God to give us daily bread? Why would we ask God for food? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? It's a silly question if you'd ask it one way. Because we need food to, to survive. We need food to, to live. Bread provides the energy. It provides the sustenance for our, our bodies to function so that we would have the energy, the life within this physical body to, to work and to serve and to, to live. That's why. But what if, what if this is more than about just physical food? What if we prayed that prayer, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, and we didn't think of the fridge or the, the pantry? What if we thought about the spiritual food? Well, well the spiritual food to do what? Well, well, maybe there's a hint in the verses that follow. Lord, I need spiritual food. I, I need spiritual bread. Give me bread of life. Give me the bread of your word. Why? So that I can forgive. I need energy. I need your life in me in order to forgive and, and to, to be forgiven. Lord, I, I need your bread in me. I need your energy. I need your strength in me in order to avoid and to be delivered from temptation. I don't have that strength on my own, God. I, I need your bread. I need your life in me to do that. It was there on the mountainside that Jesus taught us to ask for bread. Yes, physical bread, but spiritual bread. Later on, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaching us how to pray. What man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? There on the mountainside. I suspect stones all around them. Jesus teaching his followers how to pray. If your son came to you and asked for a bread, you, you wouldn't give him one of these stones, would you? Of course you wouldn't. They, from a distance, they kind of look like a loaf out there, don't they? But you would never give your son or your daughter a, a rock when they needed a loaf of bread on the mountainside. Jesus teaching, using stones to teach about bread on the mountainside. We know that on this particular occasion in John chapter 6, it was growing late in the afternoon. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Jesus was teaching them about prayer here. Maybe Jesus had just taught His disciples about uh, that God would give them lo a loaf of bread and not a rock. <laughs> and Jesus realized and understood that the crowd, the, the 5,000 men plus family, whoever was there with them, that they were growing hungry. And Jesus, knowing what he was going to do, looked over to the disciples and said, Disciples, where are we going to find some bread? Where, where are we going to get some food to feed these folks? The disciples kind of looked at him <laughs> kind of crazy. Jesus, there's over 5,000 people here. Even if we had 200 denarii, even if we had, that's almost a year's wage. 200 days wage. Even if we had a year's wage, we wouldn't have enough to feed everybody here. 
Was buying bread really an option? Yet Jesus knew what he was going to do. For there was a boy there who had five loaves and two fishes. And in that moment, Jesus offered the miracle of what we call the miracle of the 5,000, the miracle of feeding. And this is the sign that John uses. This is the story that John uses us to, to direct us to the truth. It reveals to us the truth that Jesus is the bread of life. You see, Jesus used earthly bread. He used earthly bread in teaching us how to, to pray. He used earthly bread in helping us to understand that He is spiritual bread, that He is bread of life. If you would, turn over to, to, on chapter 6 to verse 26. Jesus offers this, this miracle, this, this feeding of the 5,000. As we, we talked about and John indicates, the, the crowd begins to stir. and Oh, here's the Messiah, here's the King. And, and Jesus hurries the disciples into their boat to send them across the sea. And, and He scatters the crowd. And Jesus goes up further into the mountain to pray. And somehow... The crowd discerns. He sees where the, they see where the disciples are going and, and the crowd follows the, the boat around to the other side so that in the morning, Jesus, who walks across the water to get there with the disciples, the crowd's going, hey, you know, you weren't with the guys last night. What's going on here? And they gather again and listen to what Jesus says in verse 26. He says, you seek me. You, you walked all the way around the Sea of Galilee all night. You, you met me here. You came after me. Not because you saw signs. Not because I fed you with earthly bread. Not because of this miracle that you experienced. But rather, because you ate of the loaves. You ate of the spiritual bread that was there. And you were filled you're not here for the physical bread. The reason you're here, the reason you, you may not understand this fully, but the reason you're here is because something happened in that time sitting on the mountainside that filled you, that satisfied you in a way that you've never been satisfied before. And so you came not for more physical bread, but for bread of life. You see, we crave the sensational but at some point, the signs pass, the show ends, the lights are turned out, the excitement fades away, and we find ourselves empty once again, hungry, because our souls are never satisfied. But Jesus reminds us that it's not the show that we're really seeking, but rather, it's Him. It's Him. Because He is the only one that can satisfy. Yes, we may come curious. And yes, we may come hungry and looking for our next meal. But ultimately, we find Him. And we discover that He is life. As we continue reading in, in, verse, in chapter 6, Jesus says, The true bread of life comes down out of heaven and it gives life. He says, I am the bread that comes down out of heaven. I want to pick up in verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, referring back to the exodus and the, the, the manna that would come daily to, to feed the children of Israel. Your fathers ate that manna in the wilderness, but they died. It was just physical bread. 
This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am that living bread that came down out of heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now it gets confusing for some folks, right? The Jews began to argue with one another and said, Well, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Did you know that was one of the early criticisms and, and fears of the early Christians that they were cannibals? But Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and, and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In verse 55 is key for us today. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. They are what truly satisfy our hunger and our thirst. And here's where the explanation comes. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. And I in him. Later this afternoon or this week, if you want to learn more about this, this word abide, it's in John chapter 14, particularly in John chapter 15. That's what it means to eat the flesh of Jesus. It's not eating his, his physical body. But rather, it's about Jesus Christ abiding in us and we abiding in Him. As the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, who abides in me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, but he who eats this bread, this bread will live forever. Whoever eats the, the, the bread who abides in me, whoever receives my spirit in John 15, whoever receives the spirit of God, we abide in each other. This is the one who lives forever. So today, we take together the Lord's Supper. True food, true drink. It's the symbol that we use to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the bread of life, that He is true food and true drink to anyone who will partake. That truth being that He abides in us. So we listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, as we prepare to share in His Supper today. Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord, verse 23, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. This is true food, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, as you drink true drink. Do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This morning we gather to take the Lord's Supper together. We do so in remembrance of him. We do so to proclaim his death until he returns for each of us. 
Our custom and tradition at First Baptist is to invite anyone, anyone who professes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, you are invited to share in this meal with us, for it is His meal. It is for those that come after Him. Those who've experienced the life-giving nature of the bread of life, of His true food, of His true drink.